Hey, welcome to Stirring Faith with Cherry Strange. Thank you for joining me today. Stirring Faith aims to lead women to desire more of God in their everyday life, making Him evident and desirable to others. Now, let's get started. Hey, welcome to the podcast. I am extremely thankful to be with you today because we have had no power because we've got snow down here in the Gulf of Mexico <laughs> in our area a snow literally it's been crazy and freezing temperatures and uh, lots of people are without water and pipes are bursting it's just crazy down here but today I'm so thankful we do have power we didn't have it before but we're moving moving right along and the sun is going to be shining tomorrow so I want to remind you of the series that we're in the middle of she yearns we're talking about desiring God and all of the facets that are related to that with the first episode we looked at what it means even to desire God to yearn for him and is it even something we should be worried about should be should we do it is it for everyone Uh, Do we get a pass? Is it just for the super spiritual? And if we do need to be doing it, what exactly does it look like? We looked at that the first session. And then the next session, we tackled more a practical element in how do we do it? What are practical ways that we grow in desiring God uh, on a day-to-day basis and in regular life? So that was last week. This week, we're turning to something else because there are times or seasons or situations, days, years, lumps of time that may feel like a lifetime in which you absolutely do not desire God. There is no yearning at all. Ice cream, yes. A great movie, yes. A day in front of the fire with a good book with no other responsibilities, of course. But God, maybe you did it one time. But now, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being a red-hot emotion, your pull toward Him is a solid 1. There is just not a joy in God. And you don't really know what to do about that or if there is anything you can do. This is a daunting task before me today to address this topic. Let me just tell you. And I cannot do it justice in 15 or 20 minutes. There are those who have spent volumes and years dedicated to this very topic, and I'm happy to point you toward them. My aim is to ground us enough theologically on the issue for you to recognize what you need to do to go deeper. I'm going to cover four things, and that is really it. What do you do when you don't yearn for God? The first thing to know is that you can do nothing. You can do nothing. God alone can cause you to yearn. Now, that may be some good news and some bad news for you, that there's nothing you can do. John Piper, who is a guru on the topic, he says this, Only God can make the depraved heart desire God. Now, remember Ezekiel says something really powerful about this very thing. God says to Ezekiel, And I will give you a new heart heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh that's uh, 3626 that is an act of God only God can do that then why are we talking about it you might ask well because it's it's not really a threat that only he can do it it's a gift it's it's a gift it's like when the disciples approached Jesus when the rich man had come to him and said um, how do I 
enter eternal life. And Jesus looks at him and he loves him and he says, go and give away all you have and then come and follow me. And the rich man goes away unhappy because he's not willing to follow him if that's what he has to do. And the disciples are sort of spellbound by this and they say to Jesus, then then how can the man be saved? If not this perfect guy, then who? You know, I mean, it must be completely impossible. And Jesus says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. As if to say, I know what you see, but God can work around all the barriers. I know that was a huge barrier for you, but God can break down the walls. He can fix brokenness. He can heal hurts. He can hold you through the injustice that is wreaking havoc in your heart, whatever it is, so that you too can find freedom and everlasting joy. You can savor Jesus over and above all else, even when it's costly. Yes, God can do this. That's the first thing. You can do nothing. This is totally a work of God, just like he spoke through Ezekiel. But the second thing we need to understand is the absolute responsibility that we have. Psalm 37, 4 says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. We looked at this verse last week and that it is a command. We are commanded to delight in the Lord. We have a responsibility. So you must do something, right? That's the second thing. You must do something. It's not just a suggestion. But how is it that we're commanded to do what we just established that we cannot do? This is where the most self-sufficient ones among us, and I am speaking for myself here, to be told, okay, here is the thing you must do, but you're completely incapable of doing it. It's completely frustrating until you recognize that you'd be an utter failure at it because it's not a high five that he wants. He wants you to delight in him above all else in every circumstance. That is a tall order. And if something doesn't give, you're never going to succeed. I mean, we're totally incapable of doing that. This command is a gift. So not only is our heart incapable of of having this kind of desire, we're incapable of the action of it, but Romans 11, 36 tells us it's okay. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. It's also a gift. We must do something, but he gives you the yearning and the desire for more of him and the ability to be obedient to the command to delight in him. So even though we can't do it and that we must do it, he enables both. But here's where it gets messy. And the third point, we need to recognize that when we don't desire God, it's going to be a fight. And so I've pulled together a few different verses. They may not seem like they fit together. One is from 1 Timothy 6.12, and that is to fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight of faith. That is talking about our faith, but that that's what we're in pursuit of. I mean, desiring God is about our faith completely. It's literally something we fight for. That's what he's calling Timothy to recognize. And then we have James, who also is talking about the same kind of seriousness where he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Do you feel the seriousness of this? That this is something we need to not look at flippantly. This is very serious. It's going to be a fight. 
And then Paul talks about putting on the full armor when we look at our faith. Otherwise, we're going to get knocked down and get our teeth knocked out. And further, the writer of Hebrews, and he pleads with these believers not to drift away from what they already know. And he's mainly talking about possessing a believing heart that clings to God and that does not fall away from the living God. Instead, he encourages them to build their endurance, the endurance to remain, to be faithful, to finish the race that's marked out for them, and to do so joyfully. This is what he says in chapter 12. This is right after that hall of faith where he talks about all those people who came before and demonstrated their faith. Therefore, since we are surrounded By so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What I love about this is that it's not up to me or my own willpower or my own preparation to get through this. It's not that kind of endurance that I'm having to be concerned about. It's the being transformed into the person God longs for me to be that's happening day by day by day. That's what he's talking about. That laying aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely to me, that is where it's happening in that building of endurance, that changing of a person over time day in and day out, that the the work is done by the Lord. He's doing it that enables me and enables you to run this race of endurance. Before the writer of Hebrews calls us to run this race of endurance, he reminds the people of who they are. And, And I love this. This happens in chapter 10. He says, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, so after they believed in Jesus, You endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partnered with those who were so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. So he's just reminding them of the things that they had done before. These are the ways that you have been changed. These are the way you approached difficult situations, and you did it joyfully. You did it because of who God was changing you to be. And then he says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet in a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But you are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So he's reminding them of who they are, that they are those who have faith. They are to have endurance. And he's reminding them of what that looks like. Um, How are they to live? Because the race is not a 50-yard dash. It's not just slap happy for funsies in the backyard. Your joy is at stake. Your belief is on the line. Your obedience to the command to delight in God is at stake. I don't want to sound dramatic where it's not necessary, but this is really serious. Whether or not you finish your life with a believing faith, it's at risk here. And it's ultimately also glory of God is at risk. And it lies in the balance here. Always keep in mind the enemy is willing to do anything 
to see you fail. The key lies in verse 35. Let me read that again for you. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Do not throw away your confidence that God has changed your stone-cold heart. You don't think you desire God. You don't think there's anything there. Remember, your confidence is not in you. It is in the work that the God of the universe has done in your heart. He has changed that stone-cold heart, that depraved mind, your checkered past, your woe-filled ways, into the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. What was is not there anymore. You can have the confidence. Don't throw that confidence away, which has a great reward. It has a great reward. Your own thoughts and lies that the enemy is tempting you to believe from the very first moment of the day, they have no hold on you. What you have to do is hold to the confidence that God is who He says He is and that you are who He says you are and that He has done what He promised to do. But I promise you, if you don't already know it, this is going to be a fight. A fight to embrace the confidence and reject the fear, the realities that you are hammering in your mind, the things other people say, the contradictions that you feel. Take it all and put it at the feet of Jesus and only, only concentrate on the gospel truth. John Piper is an expert in the subject, as I mentioned before. His best advice is to preach the gospel to yourself in this fight for joy and the pursuit of desiring God above all else. What he means by that is that in various forms if needed, we need to get the gospel into our soul in depth, in an earnestness, with sort of a weight of the glory of God intertwined, however we need it to be, as sort of a worshipful experience so that we have the sense that we are who God says we are because of who God says He is. Let's take Micah as an example. Because Micah works through this whole process even before Jesus comes on the scene. But he works through this mental, heartfelt process exactly how we need to do it. Micah 7, 8, and 9 says this. Actually, 7, 8, and 9. He says, But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will be will hear me. Rejoice not over me, my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out into the light. I shall look upon his vindication. Okay, Micah walks through his own process of preaching to himself. We don't really know who he's speaking to, except it's his enemy. This activity is happening even before Jesus, so I love it. He speaks truth to himself. He writes it down. He's telling himself and whatever voices he needs to hear this over his willpower that he's going to wait for the Lord, that the enemy will not be able to rejoice over him. I don't know what he's done exactly, but he's sinned and he's fallen and he's sitting in darkness i don't know if you've ever felt like that but it's dark in the darkness but he's not going to stay there he says when i sit in darkness the lord will be a light to me he doesn't stay in the darkness and this is key and he's telling himself 
how to get out. The Lord will be a light to me. I will bear my indignation of the Lord. I know I've sinned, he says. I know I have. I'm guilty. I'm guilty before the Lord because I've sinned against him. That's what he says until he pleads my cause. He goes to the one, the only one, who can take away the guilt from him. He goes before God and God takes the guilt away. And he knows that. And he lets him take the guilt away. He doesn't wallow in it for for 10 more days. He lets God take the guilt away. He preaches redemption to himself and he gets out of the darkness. Then he says, he will bring me out into the light. He lets the Lord bring him to the light. Through this process, he's preaching to himself and I shall look upon his vindication. Do you realize what he's done? He's brought himself out of the pit by allowing the Lord to do it, but he's cooperated. He hasn't stayed in the darkness. He hasn't stayed in the pit. And that's exactly what you and I can do. Too often we stay in the pit. We just keep playing the tapes that are doom and despair. And we don't walk ourselves with the truth out of the dismay. We just stay there. Not like Micah. He's talked himself out of it and he's shown us the way to do it. It's this kind of battle that we're up against. The Bible tells us the enemy is accusing us to the Father, but those in Christ crucified have been justified and our debt's paid. He has nothing on us. You don't have to listen to that garbage. I don't have to listen to that garbage. Even if it was once true, it doesn't have to be who you are today. So fight to delight in God. Fight to desire Him. Build your endurance. Put your confidence in the right place. Not in you, not in your bootstraps, in who God is and what He has done on your behalf. Now, what if you still have no desire? If there's still no joy? Hold on to what you once knew. When you spend your life's work talking about desiring God and the serious matters of finding joy in God alone, no matter what the cost, people ask you questions. They ask you hard questions. And you spend a lot of time thinking and praying and rethinking and seeking God's word on the subject. That's what you'll find with John Piper. That man is a rock star in this area. And I've only scratched the surface for you to encourage you to go deeper. The greatest thing you can do is to take a serious dive in the pursuit of desiring more and more and more of God. So when people come to ask this powerhouse, what do we do when we still don't desire God? What do we do when there's no yearning and there's only darkness? He answers this way. Don't let go of the one you knew in the light. Hold on with your fingernails if you have to. Discouragement That's a real thing. The voices that seem to be so true, so authentic, so realistic, so accurate about your situation and how God has let you down again can be ever so convincing. It can cause a person to question whether or not they can even hear God or wonder if you're just making everything up. It's really dark in those places. And some of us end up there more and more often than others. Heed this advice. Hold on to the light. Move toward it. Hold on with your fingernails if you have to, but keep a death grip on what you once knew about God and who you knew him to be and what the gospel was to you. 
hold on. Keep walking in the darkness, but move toward the light. Don't just let go. Don't just keep wallowing around in the darkness. Keep reminding yourself of gospel truths, not the made-up ones in your head, not the rehearsed ones, but gospel ones, and don't let go. Now, let me give you a couple of additional resources that may be of help. The first one is a book by John Piper. It's called, When I Don't Desire God, How to Fight for Joy. It's really a great resource. You can find it pretty much anywhere. Amazon is website, desiringgod.org, that kind of thing. I'm going to list it on the show notes. That's where you can find the reference. Also, another one that he listed, it's by a man named Martin Lloyd-Jones. It's called Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Its Cure. He highly recommended it, so I'm going to do the same. Uh, You can find these, again, from the show notes. We have one more week on this topic, She Yearns, and that's where we're going to look at savoring Jesus in your everyday life. Now, before we finish for the day, let me remind you about the resources that accompany this theme that we're doing at the She Yearns website. You can find them on a pop-up or a blog um, or on a link that's on the show notes. It's a She Yearns reading plan. It's a 30-day reading plan that sort of takes a deeper dive that you can do by yourself uh, looking at scriptures that take this theme and, and you can read along with this theme. And there's also a scripture writing plan that you can write out some scripture that goes along with this and also some journal pages so that if you need that, it's there for you. If you haven't already become a subscriber to the show notes, it's separate from being a subscriber to my newsletter. You only get the show notes from that. So if you are interested in doing that, those usually go out at the end of the week after the episode has aired. So be sure to do that. We are hoping that is a helpful resource for you. Also, just let me say again how much I enjoy being with you on the podcast. It's one of my favorite things. So I look forward to being with you again. And please tell other people about the podcast so that we can be found easier. That would really be a blessing to us. Until next time, have a great week and stay warm. And I can't wait to be with you next time on the Stirring Faith podcast. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Stirring Faith Podcast. We plan to release a new episode once a week, and I would invite you to become a subscriber because it makes it so much easier. Please remember to rate, review, and share the podcast. You may never know the difference that you can make by just making a recommendation and sharing a resource. So please pass along what you find here. Don't keep it to yourself. It's so easy to do. Post it from Spotify into your stories. I would personally be grateful. And remember... There is more truth-saturated, gospel-centered, spiritually insightful resources at your fingertips. Just go to www.sheyearns.com where you're going to find more reading plans, videos, articles, and other resources, more than there's ever been before, to help stir more desire for God into your everyday life. I'm Cherry Strange, and it is always a pleasure to meet you here.